Welcome to the market sponsored by the CME Group. Hello everyone. I hope you enjoyed Thanksgiving with your family and friends. And where do we start this week at the beginning of the holiday shopping season? So many top stories this week. Oil certainly was a story. And of course, today's activity on Black Friday is a story. So before we look at where the stock market ended, let's take a look at uh, Black Friday. Uh, the reports are that shoppers spent one and three quarter billion dollars online by five o'clock Eastern time on Thanksgiving Day, with smartphone sales lifting overall online spending by 28% from a year ago. That's according to Adobe Analytics, which tracks transactions at 80 of the top 100 U.S. online retailers. So apparently the concern over the future of the uh, iPhone didn't impact uh, shoppers' activities today with a big increase in that activity. Consumers in San Francisco led the rest of the country with over two and a third million online transactions, followed by over 954,000 in New York City, more than 415,000 in Dallas and 389,000 in Houston, all of this on Thanksgiving Day. So indeed, the shoppers were out. I was not one of them, but boy, there were a big number once again. So that's the Black Friday story in a nutshell uh, and Thanksgiving Day. Now let's take a look at the oil market. Oil prices today slumped up to nearly 8% to the lowest in more than a year, posting the seventh consecutive weekly loss amid growing fears of a supply glut, even as the major producers consider cutting output. Oil supply led by U.S. producers is growing faster than demand and to prevent a buildup of unused fuels such as the one that emerged in 2015, OPEC, the Organization of the Petroleum Exporting Countries, expected to start trimming output after a meeting on December 6th. But this has done little so far to prop up prices, which have dropped more than 20% so far in November in a seven-week streak of losses. Prices were on course for their biggest one-month decline since late 2014, and we're seeing some of that happen at the pump as well, with gasoline prices uh, sliding as we went into the holiday. But for today, Brent crude futures settled down $3.80 a barrel. That's 6% at $58.80. And during the session today, the benchmark dropped to $58.41, That was the lowest since October of 2017. U.S. crude oil today down $4.21, seven and three quarters percent to trade at $50.42, also the weakest since October 2017. And for the week, Brent fell 11%. U.S. crude also fell 11%. So that's the story of oil so far this week. 
And now let's take a look at the stock market. Stocks closed lower in a shortened post-holiday trading session today. The markets closed at noon. And the energy sector, that oil situation, tumbled on continued weakness. The three major U.S. indices all fell well over 3% for the week, with the Dow Industrials and the NASDAQ posting their biggest weekly percentage decline since March. The S&P 500 ended about 10% down from its September 20th closing record high, confirming that it had entered a correction. The S&P last entered a correction earlier this year after posing, posting a then-record high in late January and falling more than 10% by early February. That correction lasted roughly seven months until the index posted a fresh record high in late August. But today, the S&P 500 energy sector fell three and a third percent, dragged down by that plunge in oil prices. Shares of oil majors Chevron and ExxonMobil dropped three and a half percent and two and three quarters percent, respectively. Now, aside from energy, declines in Apple and Amazon weighed on the S&P 500, underscoring the drop in technology and Internet stocks that has marked this latest decline in the stock market. One analyst said, I see this as a continuation of the market trying to come to terms with slower growth next year. For the day, the Dow Industrial Average down 178 points, ending the week at 24,285. The S&P 500 lost 17 points, ending the week at 2632. And the NASDAQ composite dropped 33 points to 6938 at the end of the week. Trading, of course, uh, relatively light today with the session ending at noon Chicago time. Volume in, on U.S. exchanges, about 3.4 billion shares, and that's well below the 8.2 billion average for the full session over the last 20 trading days. Another analyst said when everyone comes back, we'll get a clearer indication of what it might look like for the rest of the year. But today just confirms the recent weakness due to persisting worries about the economy and the effect of higher interest rates on price-to-earning multiples, borrowing costs, and so on. United Technologies up 2.5% after the company won Chinese regulatory approval to buy aircraft parts maker Rockwell Collins. And Rockwell shares jumped 9% today. But uh, investors will be focusing on next week's G20 summit in Buenos Aires, where U.S. President Donald Trump and his Chinese counterpart Xi Jinping are expected to hold talks amid a trade dispute that is weighed on financial markets. So that pretty much covers the activity of what happened on Wall Street uh, and the marketplace today. And so uh, now let's take a look ahead to next week. Uh, the, um, the market next week 
is looking like this because we've noted that the uh, regional presidents of the Federal Reserve are going to be very busy on the speaking circuit next week. And we'll continue to get a few um, earnings reports. They'll continue to come in. This past week, we got some uh, reports that indicated, uh, uh, yes, we are slowing down. But on the U.S. economic tap, gross domestic product, second estimate number for the third quarter, is expected to have remained unchanged at 3.5%. Scheduled on Wednesday, October new home sales likely to have risen to 575,000 units. On Tuesday, Consumer Confidence Index for November expected to show a reading of 135.5. And data from the Commerce Department on Thursday will likely show personal consumption expenditure increased four-tenths of a percent in October. Also due on Thursday, the report from the Labor Department on initial jobless claims for the week ended November 24th. And that number expected to have fallen to 218,000. That would be down from 224,000 in the previous week. Some of the reports, HP, which houses the hardware business of former Hewlett-Packard Company, expected to report fourth quarter. Salesforce.com expected to report an increase in revenue for its third quarter. Dollar Tree, which activist investor Carl Icahn has been building a stake, according to a media report, expected to post an increase in third quarter revenue and profit on Thursday. Tiffany and Company will be reporting third quarter results on Wednesday. J.M. Smucker Company expected to post an increase in second quarter sales. And that would come about because of its acquisition of pet foods maker Ainsworth Pet Nutrition. So those are some of the activities we'll be looking at next week. Now, what about the agricultural market? Well, Max Armstrong in the studio with a guest to talk about markets. And that's coming when we continue on the Saturday markets. For more than 150 years, CME Group has been built with your confidence. Without it, we simply wouldn't be in business. Today, we continue to work on new and better ways to protect you and grow your confidence in the markets. After all, it's our vigilance that brings you the peace of mind you need today and in the future. CME Group. Advance with confidence. The livestock and meat situation of the spotlight here as we visit with Dennis Smith from Archer Financial Services. We want to talk about that African swine fever hog situation in a moment. But as far as the cattle industry concerned, I noticed the other day, I think you reported the exports are very strong for our beef right now. That's not at all unfriendly, is it? 
Boy, it's been impressively strong beef exports. I think for the year, year to date, we're up almost 10%. That's just an unheard of level of exports for a, a change from year to year. And so the beef market's really enjoying that. It's a good general increase, not just two or three players, a general increase in all of our beef customers. And it has a lot to do with the global economy. Why is the beef situation not being roughed up by the trade war. Well, we just haven't seen those uh, that item uh, slapped on tariffs. Now, there is a tariff on beef with China, but we don't really ship a lot of beef to China. That market was just starting to open up when the tariffs hit. So they're not one of our big clients, and so we are seeing uh, uh, the beef market pretty well undisrupted, uh, to date anyway, from the trade wars. What are the various destinations for our beef going into the export channels? Well, we still use... Uh, uh, Mexico, Japan, South Korea. So those are your your big three uh, export customers. And then there's a whole string of, of smaller uh, countries uh, that that are good good quality uh, export customers. How's the domestic situation looking for beef now? Well, Max, we are looking and we are monitoring this. There seems to be a change in consumer preferences, and this is extremely important if it is happening with the economy with unemployment so low. We are seeing a consumer preference shifting away from poultry and toward red meat again. And this is contrary to the long-term trend, just the opposite. And this is really important if this is actually happening. Per capita consumption had been quite strong in poultry for some time, hadn't it? Yeah, this has been a long-term trend of of the millennials, you might say. So if this is reversing course, you know, we still consume uh, 88% of our beef domestically, export about 11%. This is really a big deal if it continues. Where is that happening? Is that through, through retail or is it food service? Uh, it, where are we seeing this? I think it's mostly in the retail sector. It's mostly in consumer attitudes uh, toward uh, being really confident toward the economy and the preferences toward the more expensive meats and away from the cheaper proteins. When did you start to pick up on this? When did this start to show up, Dennis? We saw a, a report in our, uh, Reuters published uh, about 30 days ago. They were the first ones to sort of re- report on the trends. So now we are uh, you know, watching it closely and, and monitoring that to try and get a handle on, is, is this really happening? Is our supply pretty much uh, in check with demand at this moment as far as beef is concerned? Well, it's a challenge because it's record large production. So, so we are uh, really pushing beef into the pipeline. So you, you don't want to hitch. You don't want any sort of hiccup in demand or It'll upend everything. So uh, it is record large production and expected to be record large production again next year. How critical will the winter weather be as we look at that season ahead with the winter closing in fairly soon here? Max, it looks like it's going to be a tough winter for feeding cattle. We've started out with pretty muddy feedlot conditions and and we're seeing, I think, uh, real cold weather earlier than normal. Uh, If there's a lot of moisture involved, it's going to be, we believe, a very tough winter for feeding cattle. Does that tend to bottle up the marketings then? It could slow the market. 
marketings and we need to keep cattle moving. That's sort of a problem right now, especially in the northern Nebraska-Iowa area. Weights are not a problem because the feedlots are such sloppy, big mess that, that conversion, feed conversion and performance has not been what it should be. But the numbers are there and we really need to move the numbers. Let's switch over to talk about pork. Let's talk about China. What's your best assessment of what has happened there thus far, and do we still have this this void of information knowing what is actually taking place with the African swine fever in that hog herd. Yeah, Max, I think the void of information is always going to be there, so we're sort of going to have to feel our way through this situation, and one way we will feel that is when we see export business show up. Uh, Recently, we saw Hong Kong, second largest buyer of pork. This was in the weekly data a week ago, so we'll have to feel our way through that and actually just experience the increase in pork export business. The situation in China, we believe, is critical in that it is spreading and it's basically now impacting over three quarters of the herd, if not more than 80 percent of the herd. So they are restricting. They're doing what they can to try to prevent the spread of the disease, but it's just simply not successful. So the Hong Kong buying is ultimately a Chinese destination. Oh, we think so. We think it will move into the Chinese areas as especially in the southern provinces close to Hong Kong, but but it's going to get bigger. This is going to be a situation where China is fighting this disease probably for several years, and if it cripples and and hamstrings their their ability to produce pork, they will become a long-term player as far as uh, importing ever larger quantities of pork. They are the biggest pork-consuming nation in the world. By far, they consume more pork than the rest of the world combined. It's it's staggering That's to wild. think about. Yes, that, repeat that one more time. We yeah. don't want that to get lost on anyone. The Chinese they consume more pork than the rest of the world combined. And they have, as far as hog herd numbers, over half of the hog population in the world. And it is being threatened, virtually the whole herd, by this African swine fever. They are depopulating the herd then to stop the spread? Well, we think they are. They should be. I mean, that's how you fight it. That's how you control it. You you limit shipping. You limit movement of animals. You Obviously, the animals that are sick die, and you have to call animals within a, a, a diameter or a radius uh, to try and prevent the spread of the disease. We have no information as far as how many numbers are being called. The spread is taking place how? Is it avian uh, spread? Is it uh, wild hogs in some instances? Uh, what's your best assessment of how it's moving from one operation to another over there? We think it's by uh, by transporting the vehicles and biosecurity type uh, of uh, movement and shipment of animals. And once the an- infected animals are relocated, uh, it's very possibly being uh, transmitted through infected feed and And if that's the case, it's a really big mess and virtually impossible to contain, possibly through the wild boar situation. If it is in the wild hog situation, there's 30 million wild pigs in China. Then that means it'll eventually spread into the neighboring countries. And then then it's a regional problem. It's a really major, major problem. We, of course, are worried about it here. 
Uh, we, we can't afford to have it pop up in the United States, can we, Dennis? Absolutely not. We have to guard, and I know that uh, we are moving to try and uh, secure the borders as far as you can't allow any imported meat. That is, you can't allow tourists and travelers to bring meat in because an infected meat could actually contribute to, to, to the introduction of the disease in this country. We have to be very vigilant about keeping it out of the North America. If it pops up here, heaven forbid, if it occurs in the United States, if we find it here, are our safeguards to stop it good enough? There's no vaccine, right? And uh, aren't we lacking a little bit in terms of reining in something if it pops up here? Well, they, there is no vaccine, but I think we can regionalize the situation, and I think we can be quicker and better about it than probably any other country that that uh, produces pork. So you have to regionalize it, which means if it's in the southeast, possibly we could still export pork that's produced in the western area. So, so it'll be very critical to move swiftly and i think our officials and the producers and the organizations are currently mapping out strategies and plans in case it does happen if it popped up here would that shut off many of our export markets immediately or would some markets say we just have to have the pork so bad we'll take what you give us i think initially initially it would shut everything down and then you have to start working about regionalizing it and then reopening the markets but initially you would have to expect everything would be shut down so the market impact let's let's talk about the continued spread in china the continued uh, uh, African swine fever-free market in the United States. There's nothing bearish on that horizon, is there? There is nothing bearish about it. Quite frankly, there will not be enough pork in the world if this continues to spread in China. They have basically two sources to go to, the European Union and the United States. The third would be Brazil, and they've already forged an agreement with Brazil. But frankly, Brazil does not have the, the capability to even come close to meeting the the demand from the Chinese, especially in the pork area. Brazil has more beef to export than they do pork. So you're talking the United States and and, and Europe uh, would be providing uh, China with the pork. They will need the pork. They will not allow the price of pork to spike because that would be a, a major problem for the government in China. So what's your sense on what our quarterly hogs and pigs report the end of December will show? Will it indicate that we've already started ratcheting up uh, production here in the U.S. to meet the global demand? Well, we've been in an expansionary mode, and, and we were real concerned about where our price is going this fall, especially when you're, when you're seeing 2.6 million hogs slaughtered each week. We thought we might be reaching a point where you would end the expansion. Is that and record slaughter? Are those yes, record harvest numbers? Yeah, th- these are record large numbers that we are currently processing. We were thinking maybe we were coming to the end of the expansionary phase, and then this African swine fever thing has started developing. So I think the hog and pig will show what we've been doing, very moderate expansion, which will certainly confirm record large production for next year. Producers being yet a little bit cautious, though, and until there are other signs that we need to 
ramp up the expansion? Well, that's right, because we've been facing terrific headwinds in the form of tariffs to Mexico, tariffs to China. And again, we were quite concerned about where are we going with pork prices here. Uh, If they keep going lower, you will uh, see an industry experiencing tremendous losses, and then that will end the expansionary phase. So we're, we're in a transition right now. It's exciting to watch. It is exciting to watch, especially when you look at the the hog charts here of recent. We've done some pretty uh, uh, impressive displays of uh, taking out resistance and moving higher, and, and in some cases, sharply higher. You're telling your producers to do what? How to how to prepare for this? Well, we got uh, prepared early in that we sort of took a risk and we lifted all hedges, replaced them with puts in the December options, left the upside open, and so far that strategy is working out good. We will roll our December puts into the February puts and continue to leave everything open-ended. We are not hedging from the short side except by using put options, providing a price floor, leaving the upside open. This is a real big story. A floor just in case there is some negative news about African swine fever, perhaps. You, you bet. There's so that, much. That could have a significant short-term impact, couldn't oh. it? If something broke out here. Oh, yeah. It would be pretty devastating. It's devastating devastating on the short term. So uh, with so much money at risk in, in these hog production facilities, you have to have a price floor established for part of your production anyway. But we we feel like we want to leave the upside of this market totally open right now. And we didn't even talk about the bird, big supplies, and that benefited consumers for this Thanksgiving, didn't it? Oh, yeah, you bet. Uh, I think the uh, the cost of the Thanksgiving Day meal is down a little bit, and of course, uh, huge uh, poultry production and turkey production, certainly a component in that. Ah, we appreciate it so much. Good to talk to you, Dennis. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. Dennis Smith, Archer Financial Services. For more than 150 years, CME Group has been built with your confidence. Without it, we simply wouldn't be in business. Today, we continue to work on new and better ways to protect you and grow your confidence in the markets. After all, it's our vigilance that brings you the peace of mind you need today and in the future. CME Group. Advance with confidence. In the agricultural trade, we did sell some corn and soybeans to foreign buyers this past week. 132,000 tons of corn sold to South Korea and 120,000 soybeans sold to unknown. Speaking of soybeans, the crop in Brazil has been planted for just about every district in the country. They have had good planting weather, and as a result, they've got the soybean crop in the ground early enough that they could start harvesting in December. They were basically finished planting, and Brazil's overall soy planting reached 89% of an estimated 35.8 million hectare area. So it looks like Brazil is on its way to... Some more record crops of soybeans adding to the problem that we're going to have and uh, the fact that they're moving in more and more to the world soybean market. So as we look at uh, where the markets ended today on uh, Friday, 
the December wheat contract was the only corn contract that ended higher. It was up a penny, four ninety nine and three quarters. The rest of the wheat months traded lower. All of the corn months traded lower with the December contract down two and three quarters at $3.59 a bushel. And soybeans, completely red screen there as well. January contract down two and a quarter cents, ending the week at $8.81. The livestock trade, uh, more green on that screen than on the grain screen, certainly. Livestock futures were higher today with lean hogs rising sharply and cattle notching uh, smaller gains as each market was helped by hopes of better meat demand. Hog futures on the Chicago Mercantile Exchange continued to rise on expectations that the spreading African swine fever virus in top hog producer China will force buyers to boost their imports. Chinese officials today said they were working to keep hog and pork supplies stable as farmers continued to cull herds due to the highly viral disease. Even with China tariffs on imports of U.S. pork increased shipments of the meat from Europe or South America could have ripple effects that would prompt demand for American supplies. So at the end of the trading session today, we found February hogs up $1.90 at $68.07. December live cattle up $0.92, cents, ending the day at $117.32 a hundredweight. And the January feeder cattle contract up $0.70 cents at $149.32 a hundredweight. That's where the markets ended today, and uh, those are the prices that uh, will be starting the trading week next week. Some of the other stories, very quickly, on the agricultural scene. A tragic story again, and I'm mentioning it because we keep talking about being careful if you're crossing railroad tracks in the country. They don't have warning signals. And so you have to be very alert. On Thanksgiving Day, the end of the day, we had a person killed when his tractor collided with an Amtrak train in Illinois. Be careful out there. That's the reason I end on a rather serious note. And we are out of time. Thank you for joining us. As always, along with Max Armstrong, I'm Orion Samuelson on the markets sponsored by the CME Group.